Hello and welcome to Movies for Dumb Guys. I'm your dumb guy host, Joe Johnson. And with me today is Andrew Walker. Hello. (laughs) You're sitting in that chair. And Tim Williams. Dorks. They look like a couple of dorks. (laughs) (laughs) And Denver Roshan is back. Hello, everybody. And today's theme is going to be the entire film collection of Quentin Tarantino. Uh, who has produced, or I should say directed, nine films, ten if you split Kill Bill into two parts. Uh, So we're going to look back at his career. But I want to start off uh, talking about my current favorite movie in theaters right now, Uh, a little movie called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Miles, put it there. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Line. Embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. Hey, you're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, I, I saw it on the Thursday when it was released in theater, the very first showing. I uh, saw it two more times <laughs> over the weekend, and I am obsessed with this movie. I can't seem to get it out of my head. Um, I love it. It was it was very un-Tarantino-like. I mean, it had Tarantino elements, um, but he kept take he, he'd zig when I thought he was going to zag. Uh, it was very light, very fun and funny, uh, very likable characters, even kind of the bad guys, if you will, in the movie were still likable and, and charismatic. Um, and that's what I think I liked most about this movie. Even though it lacked kind of a plot, I just liked being immersed in that timeline, uh, surrounded by these uh, enormously uh, likable characters. And uh, I just absolutely love this movie. Uh, Tim, do you concur? Uh, I like it. I did not have that reaction that you had originally. Um, it's a Tarantino movie, and obviously I'm a Tarantino fan. So I was very happy to have a movie, a Tarantino movie, back in the theaters. But um, my initial reaction was, <laughs> once everything was said and done, that he could have easily shaved 30 minutes off. But then when I thought about it more... When I thought about it more, I was like, oh, okay, well, he's purposely trying to make it like a 60s movie. Because I've probably seen more 60s horror movies than anything else, but there's a lot of movies where there's a lot of stuff that happens for absolutely no reason <laughs> in 60s movies. Um, I, I, I like it. I need to see it again. In pro wrestling terms, I think what he did with this movie is just pull a giant swerve. <laughs> that's the, that's your other show. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, you know, I, I said I, for lack of a better term, I feel like Tarantino was trolling us throughout this movie. He would he would set up these premises throughout the movie where you think something typical Tarantino is going to happen, 
and it wouldn't. And I think that's what the fun was, was thinking it was going to go one way and then it would go in a different direction and throw you off. And he kept building and building and then kind of letting you off the hook and then building and building and let you off the hook. So that's why I thought it was so much fun is I think he used his reputation to kind of troll us and cause us to think one thing and then have something else. Uh, Bottom line is I just need to see it again. Yeah. I I saw it on opening day and, um, you know, like you said, because I went in there with preconceived notions of what was going to happen and expectations and he definitely, you know, uh, switched things up on everybody. So, yeah. Andrew, what were your thoughts of once upon a time in Hollywood? I agree with you. Uh, I think you said it, it's a very uh, subdued movie compared to anything else he's ever done. Um, in the first two acts, it, and this is not a bad thing, but it sort of uh, just kind of meanders, like you said. Um, and for Tarantino to make a movie like that, it's subversive because any Tarantino fan is expecting uh, gunshots, <laughs> um, just over-the-top stuff. Yeah. Nothing super over-the-top happens until you know, towards the end. The payoff, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I love this movie, and like like Tim said, uh, I definitely need to see it again, hopefully this weekend. And uh, I think I'll um, be better focused on, because I know what's going to happen. I'll be able to pay attention to other things that are going on. Um, it's not my favorite Tarantino film, but it's better, obviously, than 95% of the movie releases this year. It's right. an excellent movie. Yeah, what I loved about it is, is I kind of call these types of movies my grown-up movies like yeah i like my marvel stuff and i'll go see this star wars stuff but i like going to see a movie where i don't know what's going to happen it's not a sequel it's not a reboot it's not a re well maybe it is a little reimagining but yeah um but it's i did not know what to expect and that's very refreshing to see something like that in the theater today absolutely denver what are your thoughts on the movie uh well let me preface it by saying i'm a huge tarantino fan i've seen every one of his movies in the theater pretty much on the first day. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into this, I had a high expectations and I was not disappointed in any way. Um, I think I would have to disagree heavily with what Tim said as far as, you know, there being a lot that they could have cut out. I mean, you could say that about any movie. Um, as long as, in my opinion, as long as, you know, the character is being revealed and there's interesting things going on. I mean, to me, this movie was so jam-packed with, you know, old TV clips, movie clips, <laughs> fake and real, <laughs> songs, uh, we were talking yeah. earlier, advertisements, you know, just uh, uh, so much visual delight, you know, just in the, the scenery. And, yeah. you know, uh, maybe, Joe, you and I have the same affinity for it because, you know, I lived in California and L.A. for a year. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when he's driving down certain streets, I was like, oh, my God, I drove down that street. Yeah. Or when Sharon Tate went to the movie theater, I was like, oh, I saw a movie at that theater. <laughs> you know, I was probably sitting very near to where she was, you know. Um, so there was a sentimental mm-hmm. uh, 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 element that I could appreciate. But just from a filmmaking standpoint, I love the fact that there was really no plot like you guys have mentioned because yeah. pretty much every other tarantino movie has been pretty plot driven yeah with uh, twists and turns correct. and you're like on the edge of your seat and you're focused where i think this movie was more of an experience like it, it almost like took you back in time and you were sort of living out the 1969 time yeah period. it was totally character driven 
And I think he's had great characters before, and he's had long movies that had that same kind of epic feel. But this is, I think, the first one where he's just like, I don't care about story. I just want to f- dig into these two characters. Um, the one minor complaint that I had was um, they were promoting Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate so heavily yeah. that I was expecting to see a little bit more of her in the movie. Yeah. She was really, you know, like she was the third lead, but like way down the list of yeah. the third lead. Um, and without spoiling anything, once you see the end of the movie, you realize why she's not. Yep really one of the main characters yeah um and so that was my one my only minor quibble but that's pretty pretty low on the list it was interesting when i came into work after seeing it and uh and they were like oh what do you think of it you know and 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 the people at work were like what did you think about this manson movie and i'm like no wait wait right there this is not a charlie manson movie this this is about two characters, an actor and his stuntman, who happen to live and work in Hollywood at the time of this historic event. And this, I don't know if you guys are going to roll your eyes, but I almost compare this movie to Titanic. Now, let me explain. Uh, what's his name? James Cameron uh, created two fictional characters and set them on the Titanic to allow us to explore third class, first class, the coal bunkers and every aspect, and it let us roam free within the Titanic, where if it was based on fictional or historic characters, we would have been sort of confined to one part of the ship. I feel like Tarantino kind of did the same thing. He created these two fictional characters and plopped them down in in real 1969 uh, Hollywood to allow us to go on the back lots and to see how these films and television shows are made and and just the dynamics of, of Hollywood at that time period. So I think there's a reason why he did what he did and, and obviously to put his own little spin on it. But Kate Winslet would have been great as Brad <laughs> or as DiCaprio's stunt double. Forget Brad Pitt. <laughs> Reunite great. those people. Yeah. And and the two characters, uh, you know, Rick and Cliff, they were just so in my opinion, so enormously likable that the moments where you thought they were threatened, it caused genuine, genuine like terror. Like I don't want to see anything bad happening. These guys, they were, they were just really likable characters. I really enjoyed it. You can pretty much bank on those two guys getting nominated for absolutely <laughs> a yes. lot of awards, especially yeah. DiCaprio, but Pitt, but Pitt also. I think both of them will. But, yeah, but, yeah. Pitt's uh, got the cooler role and performance, yeah. but DiCaprio's but DiCaprio acting was just amazing. Yeah, and the flaws is his stuttering and his yeah. anxieties and stuff like that. And and really, I got and, and I think this was infectious that those actors and, and Margot Robbie, to a lesser extent, seem to be having a blast. And so I was having a blast watching these actors have a blast. They looked like they were having fun on the set doing what they were doing. See, that's another reason why I need to see it again, because they were building this with the the preconceived notion of what was going to happen at the yeah. end. Yeah. With, you know, I mean, so you still had a sense of foreboding. Um, but then, wow, I, I don't want to say too Well, about halfway but, through the movie, I was like, this is the first Tarantino comedy, really. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Right. And. I was like, if this ends with the massacre of Sharon Tate and her friends, it's going to be the worst <laughs> comedy ending of all time. But it and, would, it would, it would be in his wheelhouse to do something like that. It would know? be, yeah. and that's. Yeah. I think that 
is why I found the movie so fascinating because here I was this whole time, like uneasy, like how's <laughs> exactly. this going to end? Oh. <laughs> but it's, I'm having such a good time and I'm hanging mm-hmm. and I'm laughing and enjoying myself. So to me, that, that feeling of anxiousness with, you know, levity, you know, and humor yeah. totally had me on the edge of my seat and I loved it. Yeah. You know? And some breakout stars that I think I'm hoping to see more of in future films one is the uh, actress who played Pussycat, the hitchhiker that Cliff picked mm-hmm. up. Uh, I found out just the other day that um, she's Andy McDowell's daughter. Yes. And um, she was fantastic. She was great. Margaret Qualley, Q-U-A-L-L-E-Y. She was amazing. Yeah, if you haven't seen the HBO show The Leftovers, mm-hmm. um, you got to watch that because she's one of the main characters of that show. Um, it's the first season's a little bit tough to take, and the last season's a little bit wacky, um, but it's definitely worth the ride. So I would highly, highly recommend that. And uh, search for her name on YouTube. I, I stumbled across this lengthy commercial that she did for a perfume or something. It is riveting. She, I guess, was a, a ballet dancer or something. So she dances throughout this perfume commercial, kind of like a video that... Um, uh, oh, what's his name? Did I'm Christopher Walken? Yeah, you remember he did a video where he did all this yeah, dancing, this commercial, is a Slim. lot like yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, search her name on on YouTube. The other breakout star was the eight year old uh, actress. I don't know if she's really eight in real life, but holy oh, yeah. cow, she, she held to, her on. To steal a scene from a DiCaprio, Butters, that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, she was spectacular. Yeah, she, she was, was great. I, she was I great. Hope to see her in in more movies. Well, uh, speaking of cast, uh, one of the things that I loved was that there was so many Tarantino-isms uh, throughout the cast. You know, you had Uma Thurman's daughter played one of the hippies. Oh, yeah. Um, Kevin Smith's daughter. Yep, uh, yep. Bruce Willis's daughter. Yep. Rumor Willis was one of the hippies. Yeah. But then you also had Michael Madsen, who, right. you know, was in uh, Reservoir uh, Dogs. Zoe Bell plays Kurt Russell's wife. Yeah, Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. just on and on and on. There's so many great, I guess you could call them homages to his yeah. own movies, you know. Yeah, uh, or Easter eggs, as they yeah, call Easter them. Eggs, and that's yeah. fun, like upon repeated viewings, looking for Easter eggs. Like one thing that I did notice upon the first viewing is is when uh, Sharon Tate goes into the bookstore and on the counter of the bookstore is the Maltese Falcon, and she kind of touches it and pets it as she's talking. I saw I, that, and I yeah. said, hey, now I know what that is. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd love, you know, like I said, upon repeated viewings, looking for all the little Easter eggs. And I was surprised that at the end of each each screening that I saw, the majority of the theater cleared out before the uh the mid credit sequence. Oh, okay, with the fake commercial. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was like, oh, they missed that. And yeah. uh, I really enjoyed that. And then that. they even had the Batman commercial yeah, that, at the very end. It was end, the yeah. final Easter yeah. egg. I yep. didn't stay for the very end. <laughs> so it was... It was a Batman and Robin They didn't show promo. It. it. It was just the a audio. Vo- a radio. Oh, I, I heard the audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. I got it. Okay. Yeah, so they played that at the very end. And uh, there were a couple little Batman and Robin references throughout the film. And apparently Tarantino tried to get the Batmobile... Uh, to be on set um, for that sequence with Bruce Lee, and they wanted the Black Beauty, but I guess Warner Brother owns the the rights to those cars and said, no, we're not going to do that. But that would have been a neat little tribute to see that the Batmobile. So. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you guys this. Tarantino has gone on record and said that he makes 
two types of movies in his universe. Uh, a realistic universe that would be like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and then the movies that those guys would go see, mm -hmm. like Kill Bill or... And Glorious Bastards. Yeah. yeah. So where would this one fall as far as that goes? Well, I mean, if you're looking at it from a purely technical standpoint, it's it's got to be both hmm. because, you know, you've not to spoil anything, but you've got the Inglorious Bastards kind of ending. Right. The, yeah, the um, uh, twist on reality. Yeah. Right. right. But it's not an exploitation movie in right. any way, the way Kill Bill or Inglorious Bastards again yeah. are. Yeah. Um, so. But there's yeah. a lot of fantasy elements of this, too, like. Uh, you said earlier, you know, Margot Robbie sitting in a theater looking at Sharon Tate on the screen. That's very surreal. And you mm -hmm. can't argue that that takes place in the real world. Yeah, they did That's not reshoot those scenes. That yeah. was Sharon Tate from the original movie. Yeah. So I would have to put it in the fantasy and you've element. Got, and you've got, even though this was more of a, a moment of imagination, but you've got DiCaprio in a scene from The Great Escape. Yep. You've yep. got, you know, Bruce Lee, uh, <laughs> the fake Bruce Lee or the imagined Bruce Lee, you know. Uh, In the fake TV series, yep. the, the Bounty, uh, what yeah. was it, Bounty Law? Yep. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I would have to put this in the fantasy ca category that it's the type of film that the characters in his movies would go see. One, one I think it might be a minor thing, but something uh, that I liked at the very end, uh, the type of music that played when the title card came up, it, to me, it screamed, "This, this, this was a fairy tale." Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. So yeah. I, it's, it's especially putting the title at the end at that moment yeah. that never existed in right. reality. Yeah. yeah. You know that was yeah that was amazing. And since you bring up the music, that was another thing. Pulp Fiction, one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. I would oh, yeah. put this one not <laughs> quite in that same category, close. but pretty darn close. I mean. Hell, even uh, Reservoir Dogs had a pretty cool soundtrack. Oh, so yeah. That was one of the, another one of the many things that I loved about this movie. I was just like, oh, yeah, vintage Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. You, know. you know, he. I had read that when he's planning his next film, he goes through his record collection, and that's part of the process is picking the songs that are going to be part of the soundtrack. And when you think about it, some of those tracks that appear in his movies are now – in hindsight, inseparable from those movies. Yeah. When you hear "Stuck in the Middle with You," how yeah. can you not think of Reservoir Dogs? Yep. When you when you hear the uh, the surf music from Pulp Fiction, yep. it, you right. think it's like they become almost like a character in the film. And there's a couple yep. of tracks in Once Upon a Time that uh, now when I hear it, I go right back to the movie. So, and I love that he picks. Uh, I don't want to say obscure, but not quite as popular and mainstream of mm -hmm. hits. Yeah. You know, like this last Stranger Things soundtrack. It was pretty much just a top 40 smorgasbord right. from the mid-80s, you know. Whereas he, Tarantino, goes into those deep cuts, you know. Yeah. Great, great songs, but not the ones that you hear every day. Yeah. Well, the song that they used in the trailer, or one of the, the subsequent trailers, uh, Bring a Little Water, Bring a Little Wine. I'd never heard that song right, before. It is a great song. Great, How is it even song. possible I've never heard it? And there's a, I would say there's probably three or four like really classic songs that I never heard before and that yeah. I love. You know, he throws in a few, you know, the Simon and Garfunkel and oh, a yeah. few other ones that, you know, probably everybody's heard. But. Yeah. 
Now, I want to I want to throw something else out about this movie, and, and this kind of got me a little angry uh, as I was looking on social media. There are a couple of critics. There's this inevitable Tarantino backlash where they're accusing Tarantino of using violence against women as a punchline. And when I read that, I got a little angry because, first of all, it wasn't just women. There were men involved. And another critic said, um, oh, they, they needed two men to come to, to the aid of Sharon Tate to save the day for Sharon Tate. I'm like, wait a second. No, that's not what I got out of it they, at all. They didn't even go to her house. Yeah. How could they be saving her? That makes <laughs> right. no sense whatsoever. They were defending their turf right. against these invaders. That was a home invasion. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. The, these, these, the Manson family that were coming in, they were psychopathic murderers so how can you sympathize with those characters and go oh you're being a little rough yeah, with to them to me that sounds they like somebody got, that yeah. has no clue what the manson family did yeah and i i sat there thinking they got what they deserve these characters got what i was they i deserve. was cheering i was yeah. like yes smash <laughs> your face into the wall again yes. yeah exactly and, yeah and that's you know, uh, when he threw that can at her face, come on, that was <laughs> that was amazing. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. kind of the same with Inglorious Bastards, but it's it, it is what it is. It's yeah. these notorious historical people that are getting what they deserve in Tarantino's world. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I mean, if if it wouldn't have been you know historic, if it wouldn't have been the the females involved in the Sharon Tate murders, yeah. then yeah, if he, had, had. if he had fabricated, if it was a bunch of dudes that had killed Sharon Tate and he just injected some fictional female, yeah. female characters, that'd be different. Yeah, yeah. But they right. were there. Right. You know, exactly. they deserved uh, any kind of fictional retribution that yeah. they received. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the crime, the real life crime was so horrific and generated such outrage that I felt like for Tarantino, this was almost therapeutic to give them what should have happened in real life if yeah. only things would have gone a little different. That's what I felt at the very end. I'm like, oh, this is this is how it should have gone. Yeah. <laughs> I had and a then, kind of a Joe yeah. moment because when <laughs> they walked up the driveway, again, I won't go into details to spoil anything, I started bawling because I was like, if only that could have happened in oh, reality. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And because they did kind of a similar thing in uh, Inglorious Bastards, yeah. You know, I didn't really feel the same way because that's such a large scale thing. But they made this so Tarantino made this story so personal, and you get yeah. to know Sharon Tate and her friends and their whole world. That you know, it hit me way harder than anything yeah. in Inglorious Bastards. And that, it was the happy Hollywood ending. So exactly a Joe moment. Can we call that a Joe-ment? <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. right. I get teary-eyed Did at you the cry? little Did you thing. cry in this one? Um, at, at any of your, the only, your viewings? The, I think the only <laughs> time my eyes got a little teary was when the girl whispers in his ear and says, that was the best yeah. acting I've ever seen in my life. And yeah. his yeah. reaction to that yeah. moved that me. That was pretty good. It was that awesome. Was, so, was can yeah. I just throw yeah. one thing in there? Uh, just, this is just from a technical point of view. This might have been the one of the first times I I can recollect seeing. There's several times where he did uh, a quick edit within, uh, a, within a certain scene, whereas um, uh, Leo's character is in his trailer and he gets mad. He starts throwing stuff around. Yeah. Did you notice the quick edits? There? Oh, the jump cuts. Yeah. The ju- yeah. He I, did I, that I, multiple times in the film. And I, I I 
I, I'm sure he obviously he's not the first person to do that, but I, it was very noticeable and it stuck <laughs> out to me. But I liked it. Yeah, it was well because the rest it, of the scene or the rest of the movie has such a languid pace. Yeah. that when you when he throws in those jump cuts, it's like jarring because it's yeah. totally foreign from anything else in the movie. And I, yeah. I think it, it, it goes with his style of. I'm going to I'm going to do my own style. I I don't care yeah. what the rules are. I'm going I'm going to do this. Yeah, he did the same thing with Timothy Oliphant when uh the actor from the TV series comes over to talk to him. Yep. He's not wearing a hat and there's that it he's wearing a hat and there's that he's sitting next to him yeah. and I'm I'm laughing. Like yeah. I'm like I love this. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's uh, we talked about this before the show but to your point, yeah, he's throwing in a random voiceover whenever it pleases him. He's yeah. throwing in a fantasy scene whenever it pleases him. So he's just doing stylistically pretty much whatever he wants. And at first it was a little off-putting, like, oh, this is kind of random. But by the end I was like, oh, I see. He's just doing a whole movie full of his favorite gimmicks and techniques, yeah. and I loved it. Yeah, and that's kind of his history. Uh, I, I saw a tweet uh, by a, a movie critic that I follow on Twitter, and he said, I'm just putting this out there, but the voiceover at the end, towards the end, is Kurt Russell. Yep, yep. Yeah. Is this film from the point of view of his character? It almost, I mean, it, it makes you wonder why Kurt Russell was chosen to do right. the voiceover. That's, that's Whose was... perspective? Who's telling the story? Yeah. And if you're going by the voiceover, it's Kurt Russell's stuntman. Yeah, because it's not like a uh, random broadcaster, you yeah. know, telling this story. It's a character within the movie, yeah. you know. So if that's not the case. He should have used Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson. <laughs> oh, that would have been amazing. That was the one yeah, thing I did crazy. notice. There was, correct me if I'm wrong, was there any African-Americans in this movie? Because um, Tarantino has a pretty, I mean, pretty much every movie he's yeah. done. Yeah, he's been know. pretty diverse. Correct. But, um, yeah, if there was, I don't, I don't think any of them were, yeah. were main characters. I have the, the cast list right here on Wikipedia. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> now, keep in mind, I read that, the first cut of this film was four and a half hours long. Wow. Holy so God. imagine having to cut out an I, hour or more out of this film. And I think that's, two, yeah. that I might think. be why we saw so many jump cuts. Is he's like, all right, I, we <laughs> got to get it down. 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 I'd love and to see those other two hours. I can't wait uh, for the DVD. Oh there's going to be tons of extras the on there. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you noticed in the end credits, he was thanking his you know, usual suspects. And Tim Roth's name appeared, but in parentheses it said cut. And apparently he played a butler or something in the film that ended up getting cut out. I, I have that factoid right here because I, I came across <laughs> it about two hours ago. It says, Tim Roth, James Marsden, and Danny Strong shot scenes for the film but were not included in the release. Uh, Roth huh. portrayed Jay Sebring's English butler. Marsden oh. portrayed Burt Reynolds. Oh, man. I know. When I read that, I'm like, well, you missed out on something here. <laughs> right. And then Danny Strong portrayed Dean Martin. Wow! Oh, so I'm, maybe maybe uh, in those now the, the you got DVD. Me more excited. Yeah, keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of there's some Burt Reynolds connections there. Um, for those who might not know, Burt Reynolds was supposed to play the role that Bruce Dern played, uh, uh, George Spahn, and he died just prior to filming. Um, and and I found out recently that Quentin got his name. Uh, from a character that Burt Reynolds played on TV. And so there's this wow. Burt Reynolds connection. And hmm. so it would have been really cool to see Burt in that role. And, and as I'm watching Bruce Dern deliver those lines, I'm uh, imagining Burt Reynolds delivering those lines had he, had he lived. That would have been sure. something. So, well, if we do get the, uh, the entire release of uh, this movie, the unedited version, I hope he includes the Michael Jai White 
Ellie fight scene from Kill Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different movie. All right. Now, let's. Uh, our goal was to uh, talk about Quentin Tarantino's uh, repertoire of films. I think what I'm going to do here is we're going to kind of go in chronological order, um, but then talk about where each movie ranks uh, in our top ten list. Um, prior, uh, his first movie that he directed was Reservoir Dogs, but he had written uh, some stuff before that. And most people, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Andrew, you mentioned this, um, that you would consider uh, True Romance a Tarantino film. Um, do you guys agree? Like, does, does True Ro- Romance count as a Tarantino film, or uh, is he so far removed from the finished product? He that wrote the movie. Yeah. Uh, stylistically, it is so far removed from the kind of movies that Tarantino makes yeah. um, that I wouldn't consider that but there are obviously since he wrote it there are a lot of elements that you know continue through his own movies but tony scott directed that and he's very stylish uh kind of has that 80s mtv vibe to Mm -hmm. him which is the total antithesis of tarantino so that's why i wouldn't kind of put it in the same the way the dialogue goes the way the action scenes are that's it's 100% Tarantino DNA, but like you said, stylistically, and just the way it's filmed, it's you can tell it's obviously it, someone else yeah. behind the camera. But it's yeah. uh, you said you haven't seen it, Joe? No, I haven't okay. seen it yet. No. It's very good. I have it on VHS. You can borrow it. But, uh, <laughs> I don't have a player. But I, I saw that at the theater. I, I enjoyed it, but I can't help but think if Tarantino would have directed, and along with Natural Born Killers too, yeah. I think if Tarantino would have directed those movies, I would have liked them a lot better. I noticed that True True Romance has a very high Rotten Tomato score, both from critics and audience. It's so, a good movie. Yeah, it's, just it's very entertaining, but movie. it's very slick and Hollywood, and you know, it's not. It doesn't have that indie vibe that Tarantino has. Yeah. Now the the uh, Tarantino esque style, and that is now a word in the Oxford English Dic- Dictionary, Tarantino esque. Um, that was kind of set in stone in Reservoir Dogs in 1992. Um, has all the elements of the classic Tarantino film. Um, the one thing that uh, has going against it for me personally is I saw it after Pulp Fiction, which is Ooh, a disservice yeah. to Reservoir Dogs because once you see Pulp Fiction, nothing else seems to measure up. <laughs> and so I liked Reservoir Dogs, but it, it seemed like it was anticlimactic for me because I had seen Pulp Fiction first. Um, so it doesn't crack my top five. Uh, it's in my bottom oh, five of Tarantino movies. You're killing me. Um, so Tim, what are your thoughts of Reservoir Dogs and where does it rank on your list? Um, it ranks at number four on mine. Uh, it was uh, like, I think I'd mentioned this before, but, uh, I had heard all the buzz about it. And I I think my first real exposure to it was an interview that MTV had done with Quentin Tarantino. And, I mean, you know, Tarantino comes off as kind of a strange guy. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, especially at, at that point, you know, if you're not exposed to him. And I, I just, I was like, man, who is this guy? This guy's a mental case, you know? <laughs> so I, I, never, I never bothered to see it. And then one of my friends... Uh, just told me one day he was like he was like hey have you seen Reservoir Dogs yet I'm like no he's like he's like okay he's like go to the video store this was still VHS days go to the video store he's like 
rent this movie. Don't even read the back. He's like, just rent it and watch it. So I did, and 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 at first I was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, but then it just, but then it kind of stuck with me. And then the more and more, you know, that then I think I rented it a couple more times, and I was like, oh, okay, I I, I see what's going on here, mm-hmm. you know. And um, but you know, but even then, you didn't know that he was going to go on. I mean, it could have been a one-off. It could have been a fluke. Yeah. But uh, so not until like Pulp Fiction did I really appreciate it even more. Huh. Okay. But, All right. Andrew, your thoughts on Reservoir Dogs? Uh, I also have it as number four on my list. This is a movie that I had only seen for the first time probably three or four years ago. Oh, wow. So I <laughs> Shame. I definitely did, Shame. did not have the, uh, the chronological experience uh, that you guys have. Um, I love this. It's it's a great film, and you you watch this film, and there are some technical things. It's like okay, this is definitely this guy's first first film. Very low yeah. budget, yeah. But sure. he at the time, think about how how big it was to get Harvey Keitel to be in your film. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know some other up and coming guys like at the time Tim Roth and he made a lot of those guys that were in that movie they even really st- hadn't done much yeah. Yeah, they, yeah he the turned them yeah. into stars well can i tell i think what i thought i had read this producer. correctly if i'm wrong yeah he like invested in this movie yeah. he was and, the one uh, who got yeah, it made yeah. he had gotten a hold of the script first right yes. yeah yeah and and i rewatched it a couple nights ago and i, I kind of had to laugh uh not the very opening scene where they're talking at the restaurant but where it shows mr orange being shot in in the back seat of the car mm-hmm. Larry, Larry. He kind of sounded like Miss Piggy to me. <laughs> he sounded like a Muppet. Uh, I know it's a very serious role in a serious scene, but couldn't help but think of uh, the, the Muppets when <laughs> he was talking. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with you. Go, uh, watching it now, it it is somewhat. That part is somewhat comical. Uh, well, it's a comical movie, though. I mean, it is a very funny movie. That opening mm-hmm. scene where they're talking yes. about. Like a virgin and tipping and the whole thing. I mean, it's <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it had me rolling. And then, you know, just a little bit later, I was on the edge of my seat. And then when he's yeah. cutting his ear off, I was like, I had I was like and, looking through my fingers. Yeah, I mean, like, that movie was a roller coaster. It took every yeah. emotion. And I kind of coming uh, to the movie from a different perspective. I was in uh, um, college. I was in the throes of my movie watching days. And I was waiting, waiting, waiting for Reservoir Dogs to come out. It played only in one theater in the Metro Detroit area. So I went opening day and was blown away. I loved it. Um, I thought, man, this is a classic. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I was from the very beginning. I was a total Tarantino fanatic. So where does it fall on your list? Number two. Number two. Hear your names, Mr. White. Mr. Blunt, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Let's go to work. Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, Joe, want me to shoot this guy? Ah, what a cast. Holy moly. And that's one thing that so many Tarantino films have is you're watching the opening credits going... Look at this um, cast. Amazing ensembles for sure. Yeah. For sure. So the next movie uh, comes out in 1994. Um, I, was, I didn't have the, the awareness of Tarantino that you had. So I remember a group of friends were going to the movie, 
and, uh, and they said, uh, Joe, you got to come along. And I'm like, what is this? I've never heard of this. And they said, oh, it's called Pulp Fiction. Come see it. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but okay. First thing I remember is the opening credits, like Bruce Willis and Uma Thurman. And John. I'm like, this this cast is incredible. Um, and the roller coaster ride of emotions that I experienced uh, throughout this film, I was sore afterward because I was so tense. <laughs> and that movie um, changed the way I viewed movies. Like, I felt like I grew up when I saw that movie, like the stuff I had been watching before that was kiddie stuff uh, compared to this. And I realized that movies can be a completely different experience with, with playing around with the timeline and manipulating the audience and, and um, causing them to feel these emotions. And uh, I've never had an experience in the movie theater like I did uh, watching Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction changed me as a, a movie-going fan. Um, in my top 20 all-time favorite movies and number one on my list of uh, Tarantino films and uh, it gave us incredible moments like this Ezekiel 25 17 the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Two great performances. That's one of the all-time great speeches in movie history. Um, Tarantino's character, or not Tarantino, uh, Travolta and uh, Sam Jackson's characters. I think that might have been the first time where you got these murderous thugs who have charisma, and I like them, and I want to hang out with them. But they're yeah. killing people. Like I've never had that experience before. So, um, one of my all-time favorite movies. Tim, your thoughts on uh, Pulp Fiction? Uh, depending on the day that you ask me. Uh, between one and two, I, but but today I put it as number one because the more that I thought about it, it like you said, it it changed a lot of things. Almost like how Seinfeld kind of ruined me for sitcoms for a while there. Tarantino and Pulp Fiction ruined me for other movies. <laughs> I, I mean, to the point where I I didn't even bother to see to go see um, Forrest Gump mm -hmm. because and everybody was was saying I was like. Way. You know, it's, it's like I, I don't care. It's not going to compare to to this movie. And um, luckily, I had seen. I I don't think it would have mattered, but uh, you know, because I had seen Reservoir Dogs before, when they started showing the the commercials for Pulp Fiction, I was like, okay, I was like, that looks badass. And I think <laughs> what he did, you know, I was just blown away by it when I saw it. It was like he took Reservoir Dogs and just. It. Raised it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, you know, I, I unfortunately I saw it with 
a local gal and she was just totally confused and she's asking <laughs> me all these Travolta questions would die. yeah Why she's alive? asking me all these questions to the movie and i'm like shh, shh. but uh but yeah i was just like and, and like you said i just i remember like <clears throat> i i don't even know what it was it was almost like anxiety mm-hmm. like through that whole movie and then oh, by yeah. the time it was done it was like oh my god i had just witnessed i i don't even know what i witnessed yeah. you know but uh so at, at that time when i would be at like a party or whatever, I, I remember so many times I'd be like, you got to go see Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and I would get a group of, of people to go, and we would go see, like, the midnight movie of Pulp Fiction. And mm-hmm. um, Not everybody loved it as much as, as me, but, yeah. uh, but I, I, you know, I think I did convert a lot of people. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, so that that's my number one, because I probably saw I probably ended up seeing it, like, close to ten times at the theater. Yeah. Yeah, I dragged my uh, younger sisters. I'm like, you got to see this movie. And as the credits rolled, they turned to me and said, what is wrong with you? I... And I'm like, what? And they said, that was disturbing. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. And like, was, I, yeah, I was shocked was that people right. didn't see the greatness that I yeah, saw yeah. in the film. Right. It, it, yeah. I mean, especially if you hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs and you went in there <laughs> and, and not knowing what to expect. Uh, I had, uh, rec- I didn't go see it with them, but I recommended it to my sister and brother-in-law and they took a couple from church with them. <laughs> from church. <laughs> and, church and I, got, I got a call the next day and was like, <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> they, apparently they just sat through the whole thing horrified. <laughs> That's the devil. <laughs> yeah. uh, Andrew, your, your memories of Pulp Fiction. Uh, this is another film that I didn't see for the first time uh, until probably seven or eight years ago. Why is he um, on the show? What the <laughs> but, He's a convert. <laughs> but it, it, it's like you said, Joe, obviously I didn't see it when it came out, but looking in the context of 25 years ago or 20-something years ago when I, I first saw it, I'm like, wow, this, I'm sure at the time, really changed everyone's perception of film. Yeah. Like, like you talked about the, the not in chronological order, the nonlinear storytelling. Just the 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 hyper violence and the the super stylish things. Yeah, this is number two on my list. Yeah, I love this film so much. I actually, in a way, I compare this movie to Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. That Orson Welles peaked so early in his career with Citizen Kane that he struggled to follow it up. Yeah, and I felt like Tarantino's kind of had the same challenge that he peaked. With his second movie, sure. and every movie after that has been compared, you know, is it as good? Is it better than Pulp Fiction? That's a tough hurdle to, to overcome. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Denver, your thoughts on uh, It is Pulp my Fiction? number one movie, no comparison. Yeah. Um, it is also, I believe, the only Tarantino movie on the AFI Top Greatest, 100 yeah. list. Um, like Tim, you know, having seen it before, I there was a lot of anticipation and uh, you know, I was the the bar for me with Reservoir Dog had been set really high, so I was like, okay, this is better be good. Yeah. You know, it's got a lot to compete. And then, yeah, like Tim said, it just like it went past the bar so far, <laughs> it wasn't even in the same league. You know, um, and I just remember, uh, you know, being so obsessed that I found at my local video store bootlegged 
Laserdisc version uh, <laughs> while it, I think it was still in theater. <laughs> and so I just remember, you know, telling everybody, okay, go to the theater, see it. And then when you do, I'll make you a VHS copy. I must have made, you know, dozens <laughs> of VHS copies off my Laserdisc. Uh, you know, it had all the Japanese subtitles and stuff on it. Um, but uh, yeah, just a. Uh, almost a flawless movie. I yeah. mean, it, it's almost hard to find any faults with it. Ironically, the worst part of the movie was Tarantino's performance in his own movie. <laughs> right, right. It's a little hard to watch. The way he throws the N-word around and stuff, yeah, yeah. it's like, all right, take it down a notch. So ironically, that's the worst part of the film, which, you know, it's still pretty good compared to most movies. But, yeah, um, yeah, one of my all-time favorite favorite movies. We yeah. have Vincent, we happy? Yeah, we happy. Now, uh, with Tarantino peaking with Pulp Fiction, this may shock you, but his next movie uh, came out in 1997, three years after Pulp Fiction, was Jackie Brown. And I did not see Jackie Brown until about two days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I don't know. This was a movie I just missed out on, not only in theaters, but on cable. Like, I don't know how I missed out on it. Well, I think to your point of peaking, uh, for a lot of people, myself included, Jackie Brown was considered a huge, huge disappointment after the heels of, you know, Pulp Fiction. So it didn't do very well, Well, critically, in box office. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, having watched it a few days ago, I really, really enjoyed it. Now, the one uh, thing that makes this particular movie stand out is Tarantino did not write it. This is based on a a book written by Elmore Leonard. Now, Tarantino wrote the screenplay, and he added some stuff, but uh, Elmore Leonard called this uh, his favorite interpretation of one of his books ever. Um, but I really enjoyed it. But one thing that did surprise me is I had heard for decades people said, "Oh, well, this is this is Tarantino's take on the black exploitation film." But when I watched it, I didn't get that. I didn't see the the black exploitation element. To me, it was a, a good story about a heist, about trying to get their hands on this money. And when I hear the term black exploitation, I picture like the guitar, you know, stuff like that, and it. To me, it didn't have those elements. The only real connection was was Pam Greer's role because she had played Foxy Brown in the past. But I wouldn't call this movie a black exploitation movie. It's a very good heist film. If you had the chance to walk off with a half million dollars, would you take it? Yeah. What do a stewardess, a gun runner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con? A federal agent and a beach bunny have in common. You gonna come in on this thing with me? You got to be prepared to go all the way. They're all chasing a half million in cash. Wouldn't even be missed. Half a million dollars will always be missed. Let him get the money and then just take it from him. She's trying to play your ass against me, huh? That was fun. <laughs> yeah, it hit the spot. Um, I love the twists and turns. It had me thinking and guessing who's screwing who over is is uh uh brown working with sam jackson or is she working with the cops and robert forster i'm like oh is he is he the scapegoat like i i didn't know what direction this movie was going to go and it made it really really fun 
to watch it play out and see how it all came together. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, it did not uh, crack my top five. It came in at uh, number six for me uh, on my Tarantino uh, top ten um, or top nine. Uh, Tim, what are your thoughts on Jackie Brown? Um, like Denver said, because of the the other two, and then seeing this, it it seemed like a letdown. Not that it's a bad movie. I mean, it's it's still a great movie, and I and I enjoyed it for what it was. And I don't think I even saw it at the theater. I don't think I saw it until it came out. So it, it's number eight on my list. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. It's not one that I really want to revisit. I, I mean, I, again, nothing wrong with it, but maybe because it is more of an adaptation of somebody else's writing, it doesn't come off the same way as, as Tarantino's other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but one thing that I, that I just thought of, but, uh, continuing the tradition of kind of trying to rejuvenate some actors' careers in this. I, I really yeah. liked that aspect of it because Michael Keaton was in it oh, too, yeah. correct? Yeah, it surprised yep. me, and, yeah. And he yep. hadn't been in anything um, yeah. for a while. And they said there, Robert so. Forster rejuvenated his Forster, career. Right. Pam Greer, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like yeah. you said, yeah, uh, I, I guess it would probably be more of an – homage maybe to the 70s quote black exploitation movies but mm-hmm. but yeah i mean you know if pam pam greer at the end would have like gotten like a leather outfit and gotten a machine gun and <laughs> mowed everybody down that, that's more what i think of too right uh when it when it comes to that but uh but yeah i mean nothing wrong with this movie and actually you know i should probably give it another look but yeah uh, but yeah just um but going from those other two uh, you know it's it's only number eight on my list. yeah now, an interesting tidbit about the movie is is Tarantino responded to critics who complained about the the ultra violence of Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. So, just about every act of violence in Jackie Brown is done off frame um, when he shoots uh, Chris Tucker. It's way in the distance, and ironically, it still is shocking as if you were to see the blood splatter. Like when he turns and silences. Bridget Fonda in the parking lot of the mall, even though it's done off camera, it is no less shocking. And I, I wonder if Tarantino made a point that whether you see it or don't see it on screen, it's just as shocking or maybe even more shocking when it's done off camera. Cause that was Hitchcock's thing is he never really showed a lot of stuff, but the, the implication was still there. Right. Um, so Andrew, your thoughts on, uh, on Jackie Brown? Uh, like Tim said, I need to revisit it. I watched it once right after, uh, Pulp Fiction because those are two movies I rented at the same time <laughs> and I've only seen it that one time. And it's like I said, probably seven or eight years ago. So I do need to rewatch it. Um, just going from that memory, I have it as number eight in my list. Uh, I'm sorry, number seven mm-hmm. in my list. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, it was great seeing De Niro in that type of role, and the second um, banana that kind of surprised me. Yeah. like he played the second banana right. in that film, and uh, he must how he handled at that. that time and still early in Tarantino's career. He must think, "Wow, this guy's the future of cinema." Well, and I I, I want to get in on it. I read that they did not get along on set, oh. so I wonder if it was you know the the veteran being told what to do by this young up-and-comer you know it might be yeah 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 I, I don't have a whole lot to say about it um nothing negative to say about it I, I really liked it like I said I it's not fresh in my memory I need to revisit it yeah, yeah. 
Denver, anything you want to add? I've got it at uh, number seven. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like from number three to number eight could all interchange my rankings because Tarantino has not made a bad movie ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all great. Yeah. Um, so even though it's it's Jackie Brown's lower on my list, I think it's still an awesome movie. Um, to me, when I first saw it, I was disappointed because it was a much more, what I would consider, mature and sophisticated movie. It didn't have all the gratuitous violence. Yeah. It was much slower paced than Pulp Fiction. Uh, the two leads were more old and wise, although now I look at them and <laughs> contemporary. <laughs> um, my peers. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I think it was just you know, my expectations. And because the word black exploitation did get thrown around uh, before the movie came out, I was like, okay, well, it didn't deliver on the black exploitation element. It didn't deliver on Tarantino's typical violence, you know, Um, but all the performances were amazing. I thought Sam Jackson made one of the scariest (laughs) villains of all time. His, he his was great. Hair oh decisions were a little questionable. <laughs> very, very. Weird but, red ponytail and yep. goatee was uh, distracting. But almost. it was wild. I mean, he was like, you, as much as you loved him in Pulp Fiction, you feared him in this. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, great movie, but lower on my list like everyone else. I'm going to do a little name drop. I don't think I've ever mentioned this name on our podcast before. When I was a young guy of 18 or 19 years old, I used to work at a public access studio in Hamtramck. And uh, there, there's a couple that did a public access show called uh, Out to Lunch with Art and Barb. And uh, one day they had booked the studio, and they came in, and I'm setting everything up. And uh, and I said, uh, who's your guest today? And they said, oh, we're bringing in a local author. I was like, oh, cool. Uh, who is it? Uh, a guy named Elmore Leonard came in. And, and <laughs> I only had heard his name at the time, so I wasn't as impressed as I should have been. And now, again, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm like, oh, my God, we had Elmore Leonard in our studio. I got to meet him once after Jackie Brown. Oh, wow. And uh, it was in downtown Birmingham. A, a, a friend's dad was meeting him or something like that. And so wow. it was just a very brief, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. But I was like, I was like, whoa, I was awestruck. So. Uh, yeah. I'm not familiar. Is is he from? He's a Detroit Detroiter? author okay. who made the big time. And um, one of my favorite movies based on his works was uh, Get Shorty um, with oh, John Travolta. That okay. was a really entertaining film. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have to look him up. So, uh, <clears throat> Just one thing going back, just, just another kind of like local thing back in Pulp Fiction. <clears throat> Apparently, I don't know if you guys remember, Orbit, Orbit, Orbit magazine. magazine. Yeah, he had the T-shirt. They, they were one of the first ones to interview him for uh, Reservoir Dogs. And uh, he is wearing the Orbit T-shirt in, oh, in wow. uh, Reservoir Dogs as Jimmy. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a that's good awesome. little trivia. And I did have a Sam Jackson experience of her name dropping. I was out, when I lived out in California, I had a, this crappy little <laughs> Chevy Metro, a little tiny, like, sub car. And uh, I was stopped at a light, and then this, like, I don't know what it was. I'm not a car guy, but it looked like some like really super expensive Porsche. And I'm just looking up and down the car and I'm like, oh my God, my jaw's hitting the ground. And I look up at the driver and it's Samuel Jackson. And he uh, looks over at me and he just kind of flares his nostril, gives me one of those Sam Jackson looks and then drives away. And I just stood there. I didn't even drive. I was just like, oh. so, thank you. That's awesome. 
All right. Uh, boy, there's a six-year hiatus uh, between Jackie Brown and his next film. My friends and I, we were the creme de la creme in an exclusive industry. And we all worked for this man, Bill. Then one day, I decided to leave, settle down, and start a new life. But when I tried to get out, they did me in. Don't you ever wake up. I guess they should have tried a little harder. So I suppose it's a little late for an apology, huh? You suppose correctly. Now it's kill or be killed. You have every right to want to get even. Get even? Even, Stephen? I would have to kill you. That'd be about square. And I choose kill. Um, so Tarantino shoots this movie. Again, the first cut clocks in at over four hours. So he decides to split it into two movies which many had to renegotiate the deal with all the actors and everybody involved because they now had to get paid for two movies. Um, this is definitely a movie I made sure I was in the theater uh, opening weekend to see this. And um, so volume one comes out and I describe Kill Bill as a work of art. It is an amazing movie visually um, and I love martial arts movies, so I love this tribute to martial arts films um, with, uh, with uh, Beat- what's her name, Beat- Beatrix, Beatrix, Beatrix. Uh, the bride, um, you know, working with the, the sensei and all that stuff. And again, that had sort of a fantasy element to it, too. Um, so I loved part one. Uh, I enjoyed part two, not as much as part one, but I kind of lumped these two movies together uh, and... I put this at number two on my uh, Tarantino list. Uh, I absolutely love the Kill Bill movies. Um, a month or so ago, I watched them again back to back and thought, what an amazing experience watching these movies. And my nephew, who uh, is uh, just recently turned 21, um, he recently watched Kill Bill, and he absolutely loved it. And so now he's like a, a Tarantino guy. He's... He loved Pulp Fiction. He loved Kill Bill. He loved uh, Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, Kill Bill is number two on my list. I love all the performances and the stylized fight sequences and all that stuff. It's just great. Tim, your thoughts on Kill Bill? Um, I, I did not separate them um, just because they're so similar, and I, I've never bought them because I'm still holding out for the whole bloody affair. Me too. <laughs> to, to be released, it's listed but, on IMDb. I know. So it's like, I, I think, when are you going to do I it? I could be wrong, but I thought they had released it in Japan or something, uh, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Or, or maybe they just screened it there or something at one point. I don't know. But uh, but it does exist, so I'm still waiting. But mm. uh, but this was number five on my list. And, um, yeah, I mean, kind of like Denver said, just – these all depend on what day you ask me. Besides maybe the first two, every one of them on my list, it's uh, they're kind of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember seeing, I don't remember if it was part one or part two, I think, believe with you at the drive-in. Um, again, I don't know if it was part one or part two, but I, I do remember seeing one of them at mm-hmm. the drive-in. So, I mean, that was kind of a cool experience. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and these movies are fantastic as well. Um, uh, I, I would say these are more of a exploitation type movie. Oh, sure. <laughs> than, Easily. Yeah. And Jackie Brown. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, great. Um, 
just uh, classic Tarantino stuff. Uh, the usual suspects show up. You get Samuel Jackson to make a cameo. You get yeah. uh, Madsen. Michael Madsen. Got it right this time. Michael Madsen. Who, so, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I, I really liked these movies, too. Yeah. But number five on mine. If there's one complaint, it's the ending. Even though there's nothing wrong with the ending, but after watching her go through all these people trying to get to Bill, uh, his, his death was so quick and uh very anticlimactic yeah and you know Mm -hmm. it would have been nice if they would have gone out with a a nice big choreographed fight scene and you know maybe see her like you know on the verge of defeat and then then maybe do that move to take him out or whatever so that's the only complaint i have but other than that it's really entertaining uh andrew your thoughts on kill bill So this was the first tarantino movie i've ever seen and i got to see it in theaters so it had like you guys when you were younger, see, probably like seeing Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. That's the effect it had on me. Uh, it, it came out, I, I had to remember exactly uh, when it came out, but it came out in the fall of 2003. Mm-hmm. That was my first year of college, and I was away from home, and I went and saw it at the local theater with my friends at the time, and I'm like, this is, I've never seen anything like this movie in my life. Yeah. So it really blew me away. Uh, it's my number three. Um. Like you said, Joe, um, I like the first one better than the second one. The second one kind of is a little slower. It kind of meanders. I haven't seen it, though, since it originally came out yeah. uh, 14, 15 years ago. So I need to, I need to revisit two. I've seen three, um, one many times. But, yeah, it, uh, that was, it, it changed the way I view films. Yeah. 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 And all, Oh, yeah, also the brief uh, animated sequences. Oh, yeah. 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 That kind of falls in what you were saying about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like he just ruined He's some anime. trying everything. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> absolutely love that. I, yeah. I'm not a big fan of – it's not I don't like it, but I haven't been exposed to it as much. Uh, Japanese movies or culture. But when I saw this, I'm I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool. Now it's yeah. like – it's kind of a caricature of Japanese stuff, but yeah. it kind of opened my eyes to that. Yeah. So. I, I debated. I went back and forth. This was at one point my number three, and then like we were talking, it's they fluctuate day to day. So it, Kill Bill one came in at number four. I think it's a masterpiece. It's by far one of his best movies. Uh, Kill Bill two, not so much. Um, I think it because it, Kill Bill one was so amazing. The second one kind of felt lacking in comparison. So I, I did rank that. I put number two down at. My in my ninth position, I treated them as two separate movies until they put out the whole bloody affair. It is right. two movies in my mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, Kill Bill. It's just it's awesome. And what I I think what I really liked about his first three movies were really pure crime yeah. stories, and this was something totally else. This yeah. was he just took a a, a a left turn into a whole new realm, and I uh, loved it. I mean, there was still obviously huge crime elements, but it wasn't kind of your typical gangster uh, movie. So, yeah, just uh, uh, an awesome, awesome movie. Yeah. All right, then uh, a few years later. Now, this is a movie that when I discuss Tarantino with people, this isn't a movie that readily comes to mind. And I think because it was released as part of a double feature, um, but uh, here it is. 
from Quentin Tarantino, the director of Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Kill Bill, comes Death Proof. This car is 100% Death Proof. Only to get the benefit of it, honey, you really need to be sitting in my seat. So this was the second part of a double feature. Robert Rodriguez um, did the first part, the zombie movie. What was that one called? Planet Terror. Planet Terror. And then Death Proof was the second half, and there were some fake trailers in between that eventually a guy, <laughs> at least a machete got turned into a feature-length film. Yep. Um, Still waiting for Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't. I remember. <laughs> don't. Um, I remember when this came out, reading that many, many people in theaters across the country got up and left after Planet Terror, not knowing there was a second feature yet to wow. play. Um, and Those so, are all I, the people that voted for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, 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 I apparently I read that this, uh, this was. Probably Tarantino's lowest grossing film, and I think that's part of the reason is people didn't quite get it. Um, I absolutely love Death Proof. I think it's one of the top ten car chase movies of all time, and I loved all the pop culture references in it. You could tell Tarantino was a fan. Um, all these little things from the the Challenger that the girls drive was uh, the same car in Vanishing Point to the license plate, which was the license plate to Steve McQueen's bullet Mustang. Um, there was a yellow yellow Mustang in the film, which was similar to the Gone in 60 Seconds original release. So I loved seeing um, Tarantino throw all this stuff in a blender and come out with this unique take. And there's, and there's two distinct halves of this movie. The first half is where the, the women are the victims of uh, Kurt Russell and his... Uh, his serial killer character. And the second half, which is one of my all time favorite movie moments is when the women turn the tables on him and, and go after him. Um, His method is brutal. His weapon is speed, but his latest targets are about to fight back. (laughs) Let's kill this bastard. You know I can't let you go. I had to restrain myself. I remember sitting in a theater, and I had nobody with me. I went by myself. And when they said, let's go get this guy, I was like, what? What is happening here? And I had to restrain myself from leaping out of my seat and, like, cheering. That's how emotionally invested I was in this film, and I absolutely loved it. Kurt Russell was just fantastic. I mean, that should have been like an Oscar-worthy performance mm-hmm. there. Um, so Death Proof um, falls uh, at number four on my list just because it's, it's, it speaks to me. I'm a car guy. I love car chase movies, and so that's why I rank it uh, really, really highly on my list. Um, so you guys rolling your eyes, shaking your head. <laughs> just Go mainly ahead, me, I think. Tim. I actually this this movie has grown on me so much since I bought it on Blu-ray. When I originally saw it at the theater, I remember like seeing the previews for it and being so excited for it. Uh, originally, I thought Planet Terror was better than the Death Proof portion of it. Uh, one thing that they did was they never let on what really Death Proof was about. They advertised it as a slasher movie, so obviously you 
kind of thought that he was going to use the car. I, I mean, you know, they couldn't get away with not showing the car. Mm-hmm. And you knew he was called Stuntman Mike if you, like, looked into it at all. Um, <clears throat> so originally I really enjoyed uh, the Planet Terror part more. But then after I got on Blu-ray and watched it more and more, I actually really love Death Proof, and I have it as my number three. Look at that. Well, my man. I, I remember. I'm leaving. So, so I was at the theater. I went, to, I went to the theater opening weekend. Hardly anybody there. And I was just like the whole time, I'm like, you know, looking around. Like, like, this is like one of the greatest movie experiences I've ever had. I agree. And, um, you know, I don't know if people got it. You know, there was a few other people, but. But I was with my ex, and she walked out during the fake trailer part, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" This is all this stuff. <laughs> but uh, but I, but then once they started talking about um, Vanishing Point, I, I, was, I immediately thought of you and was like, "Oh my god!" I when I get out of here, I got to text Joe, tell him to go <laughs> see this immediately, and I, and then and then obviously they used the the practical effects, yeah. And I was just like, "Oh my god, Joe!" Yeah, when Joe's you think about mind is going to be blown Zoe by Bell. This. On the hood of yeah. that car, that is not green screen. That is not CGI. Right. That is old world stunt filmmaking. My God, it's thrilling. Yep. So, Andrew, have you uh, gotten around to seeing Death? Yes, Booth? I saw opening night with my buddy at Great, Great Lakes Crossing. Um, originally, like Tim said, I liked the Rodriguez film better um, because I was expecting both films to be super, super goofy, like Planet Terror. Yeah. And Death Proof was. It was classic Tarantino, but I was ex- I guess I, I was expecting it to be as goofy as Planet Terror. Yeah. But um, of course, I still liked it. I haven't seen it since then, so it's been probably twelve years since that came out. I do need to revisit it. Um, I do have it as my least favorite Tarantino. Ooh. It's at the very bottom of my list. <laughs> ah, but that 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 doesn't say anything because we're talking <laughs> about one of the one of the greatest directors. Yeah. Um, I, this is the thing. I do own it on DVD. It's one of those DVDs I bought with a couple other DVDs. When, Still in the shrink when, when Blockbuster was going out of business, you know. <laughs> so uh, I need to revisit it. I have it at home. I just I need to take the time and to truly appreciate it. Yeah. Denver. This is also my least uh, favorite wow. Tarantino movie. It is number ten. Yep. Um, the reason is a couple. Uh, you know, you guys both mentioned uh, that you like. Planet Terror better, and I 100% agree with you. Um, and and that is really the way this movie is intended to be watched as a double feature. Mm-hmm. And when in that perspective, it's it for me it doesn't work. Planet Terror is so fast paced, so wild, so wacky and zany. And then you get to you know Death Proof, and it's like the the brakes have been slammed, and you go to a crawl and. That first half of it's Death Proof is so just... So dialogue-heavy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yep. I want to shoot myself. <laughs> um, now, to your point, the second half is amazing. It is That second half is, like, flawless. Yeah. It's a perfect second half of a movie. Yeah. But, you know, I'm ranking perfect movies, not second half of movies. <laughs> sure. um, so, yeah, I would bump it down. Now, if they had, if they had condensed that opening portion, you know... They had gotten through that really yeah. quick. The effect would have still been the same. You know, when the gals go and hunt him down, you would have still just been rooting for him just as much. But yeah. sitting through, you know, Planet Terror, then sitting through, you know, that long half, oh, by the end. Now, I did see it as a standalone. I owned the the Death Proof 
you know, uh, on its own. Yeah. And it does work a lot better as a standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Tarantino kind of got the shaft. I would have put Death Proof first, yeah. then Planet Terror. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it would have worked so. a lot, lot better. Um, but again, not a bad movie. Like you said, Zoe Bell's stunt scene was amazing. Yeah. You know, uh, just truly mind-blowing work there. But, you know, also when you look at Kill Bill, just how complex and, and amazing that was, this was such a simple story, and it yeah. was such a, uh, you know, there was really not much meat to it, you yeah. know. Um, so that's why it's my number two. Yeah. All right, so then, you know, leading up to his next film, you know, you're, oh, what's Tarantino going to do next? And he's like, you know, I've always wanted to do a, a war man or, or a war picture. All right, man. Um, and so we all like sat there waiting for his uh, his war picture. And then he finally delivers this. An American secret service outfit that lives deep behind enemy lines. The Germans call them the bastards. The bastards. Yes. Because these Yanks have been them the devil. That's about it. If you heard about us, you probably heard we ain't in the prisoner-taking business. We in the killing Nazi business. Cousin, business is up. Boom. It sure is. Three days from now, Joseph Goebbels is throwing a gala premiere of one of his new movies in Paris. In attendance will be most of the German high command. Basically, we have all our rotten eggs in one basket. The objective? Blow up the basket. Oh, yes, 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 yes. There's something you don't know. Which is? Hitler is attending the premiere. I love this movie. Um, again, I can't recall if Brad Pitt was nominated for an Oscar, but if he wasn't, he should have been. He was so good in this movie. Um, I do have to admit, though, that I was not aware of the revisionist history aspect of the film and sat in a theater completely confused like looking around at other people going, that's not how it went. What are you, what is going on here? Like I was confused. Um, now I look back at it and go, okay, that's pretty brilliant. But uh, I was a little, I was a little confused, but uh, great, great performances. Christoph Waltz won an Oscar for this film. And he was that, that opening sequence. You know what? I say this on the podcast occasionally. Sometimes when I'm watching a movie, you kind of see a moment where you go, I think they just won the Oscar. And that scene where he's sitting in the home and the family is under the floorboards, I remember thinking that performance is Oscar-worthy, and sure enough, he walked away with it. Um, Tim, your thoughts on Inglorious Bastards? Uh, this is my number two, and like I said, sometimes it would be my number one, depending on what day you wow. ask me that. Um, I think this shows... Quentin Tarantino's maturity as a filmmaker. Um, I just sat in the theater just, I, I mean, it didn't blow me away like Pulp Fiction did, but I I just thought that it showed a lot more finesse for him as a director. And I was not familiar with Christoph Waltz at, at this point. And like you said, I was just like, man, this is, this performance is just amazing. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and I I don't think that I knew that it was not going to be historically accurate either. I had no problem with it. I actually loved that aspect of it. <laughs> That's the best when, part of the movie. I know, far, I know. By but, far. But if I mean, if you're a history buff, you're like, what? 
No, when they when they started doing what they were doing and you saw what was happening, I was like, you know, I wanted to jump out of my seat. I was like, <laughs> I was like okay, great. But uh, but yeah, I mean, th- honestly, I I watch this one probably more than any of the other Tarantino movies. I go back and watch this one. Um, I I I originally thought after I saw it that this was actually Tarantino's masterpiece. Interesting. I forgot to mention uh, it's number seven on my list. Uh, Andrew, where does it rank on your list? Numero uno. Whoa! Look I, at you two I, birds. I, I of think a about feather. this and take it in, in, into account what you guys said about Pulp Fiction. This is my Pulp Fiction. Wow! Even more it had a bigger effect on me than than Kill Bill, uh, one. Um, I'm a huge history guy, and I loved what they did <laughs> at the end. I loved it. I everyone in the theater when we saw it opening night was. It was there were audible gasps, you know, when they kill Hiller, and it was, yeah. it was one of the best like movie going experiences. Now talking about that first scene with Christoph Waltz, I, I watched this movie again probably a week ago, and I was I was I was keeping track of the time. That opening scene was twenty minutes long. Oh my god! Now who else? Who? Oh what god. other directors today are going to have a dialogue heavy, tense <laughs> scene opening a movie for twenty minutes? Yeah. No, no one else is going to do that. Yeah, except Quentin and Tarantino. It was riveting. Yeah, and then you. Towards the end, you have the scene where he has uh, Diane Kruger's character, uh, Bridget Van Hammersmark, I couldn't remember her name, where, where he uh, puts the shoe on and says, hey, does this shoe fit you? Because remember, she was shot in the leg from, from the, the bar scene. Yeah. That, move, that part of the movie, it was so tense for me. And then my, one of my all-time favorite scenes of any movie of all time was when they're in the bar and everyone starts killing each other. Oh, yeah. The build-up to that. It was one of the most climactic things I've ever seen in cinema, in my opinion. I love that scene. Now, was that the scene where things got uh, triggered because of the hand yes, gesture? Yes, yes. That in Europe, if you if you order three beers, you use your thumb, yep. index finger, and middle yep. finger. Mike, Michael Fassbender's character is an English guy undercover. Yeah. He says, I'll order uh, three whiskeys. And he holds up three fingers. And the German officer sitting across from him loses his mind. Yeah. And isn't it amazing that a guy like yes. Tarantino would know that enough to make yes. it a plot point yes. in his movie? That's impressive. And I I love everything about this movie. I love simple things like, I know he's done this in other films, but how it's divided up into chapters and just little things here and there that I noticed when I rewatched it last week. I don't have a single complaint about this movie at all. This is this is my number one. Yeah. Wow. I don't even own this on DVD. I'm going to have to uh. buy it and rewatch it. Um, Neither do I, because it's my number eight movie. Oh, it is uh, one of his lesser works. Um, <laughs> it is a good return to form after Death Proof, so it's yep. a big step back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, you know, first I'll say the ending is amazing. Christoph Waltz was amazing. You knew, like Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction, this was a star-making performance. Um, so I'll give you those two things. But for a movie... That has Inglorious Bastards as the title. There was very little actual Inglorious Bastards <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. Um, so that was my first complaint. Um, I thought the Brad Pitt stuff was awesome. Yeah. Wanted way more of it. I was like, who's this French chick running around? You know, I could. That opening scene is amazing, but the rest of that, her storyline, I really didn't care that much about it. It was Tarantino uh, reliving his film fantasy you know oh she's running a theater in the projection booth and all this stuff that was just 
you know, ego stroking time for himself there. And <laughs> that whole Mike Myers scene, you could have taken that right <laughs> out of the movie, all that stuff, and you wouldn't have missed the beat. Um, so I'm not one that thinks that Tarantino, you know, uh, goes on too much. I like some of the the longer, more involved stuff, but mm-hmm. this one is definitely could have been cut way back. Damn. Could have had more bastards. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's again great movie. I loved all of his Tarantino's movies, but this is low on my list. Uh, I I don't know this for a fact, but the reason I think that he did that with the bastards and didn't show them as much and make the whole focal point about them is because it's almost like a legend. I, I, I feel that the movie's almost like the legend of those guys being told. Well, the title's so Inglorious like- Bastards. The, the whole trailer, it's all Inglorious <laughs> Bastards. You know, so again, yeah. I'm not saying that it's a bad movie. I'm just saying I wanted more of them. Right, they, right. To me, they were the best part of the movie. And well, I this was, was his homage to Dirty Dozen and stuff, right. so it seems like it could have been more of that, but it's more just a dirtier part of it. dozen-y. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But 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 that's what he does. He always makes you think that it's going to be a <laughs> right. certain way. Well, as long then, as he delivers, if he can it. he can change it up. But as long as that change brings the goods, I just didn't feel that it brought the goods. You right. Know? Right. Back to uh, Christoph Waltz's character, uh, Colonel Landa. He's up there with. Darth Vader and oh, uh, one of the Dennis Hopper's best. character from Blue Velvet as yeah, yeah. one of my favorite villains. I 100% oh, sure. agree, yeah. for sure. Definitely. Yeah, if it had been Christoph Waltz facing off against Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt and yeah. the Bastards, you know, I would have yeah. been in movie heaven. Yeah, yeah. All right, then three years later, uh, he follows up uh, with his Western, or his first Western, um, and this one uh, cracked my top. Five. I called my wife. I sold him. But I don't know who to. Calvin Candy. That's the repellent gentleman who owns her. Boomhilda is my property. And I can choose to do with my property whatever I so desire. Help me find the Riddle Brothers. And I'll take you to rescue your wife. Let's get to it. My name is Dr. King Schultz. This is my valet, Django. Come on over. We got us a fight going on that's a good bit of fun. Why'd you dig him up? Fortuitous turn of events brought Django and myself together. Move it. I've heard tell about you. You got me curious. I'm curious what makes you so curious. Django Unchained, for me, is such a satisfying movie, and probably the closest thing that he produced that's a crowd pleaser. I mean, here's a, here's a subject, you know, of slavery that hasn't been looked at or tackled in this way to have the slave don the Western gear and get revenge. <laughs> like, it was so satisfying to me, and, and the performances were amazing. And I was disappointed that Leonardo DiCaprio did not win an Oscar for this role because it was unlike anything we had seen Leo do before and his character was riveting uh, and of course Christoph Waltz, Waltz comes back um, for this film uh, I love this movie it came in at number five for me on uh, Tarantino's top ten um, I just found this movie so entertaining and so satisfying and and again all the little uh, things that Tarantino you know peppered throughout the film from 
you know, the, the camera like zooming in on the action and stuff like that, which is a throwback to the 60s, 70s uh, exploitation films. And um, I, I just, I love this movie. Um, Tim, what are your thoughts on Django Unchained? Uh, this is my number six. And for whatever reason, I did not go see it at the theater. And I, I'm kind of kicking myself. Racist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I, you know... <coughs> It it might have been because of the subject matter. Yeah, I, I you know where I, thinking what I knew uh, again, thinking what the subject matter was going to be. Yeah, it's hard to have fun like, at a slavery movie. right exactly. You so I think, think that I think yeah. that was probably the reason why I, I didn't go. But then when I finally did watch it, I loved it. And um, you know, it's it's another one that I have not bought yet, but I, I probably will eventually. But uh, but yeah, once I saw it, I was like, I was like, yeah. You know, I should have known better. How dare you question Tarantino? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, great performances all around. Uh, the and the funny thing is, I had totally forgot in the beginning when Christoph Waltz has the gun come out of his uh, come out of his sleeve. sleeve yeah. I had totally forgot about that part when he finally does it again. Yeah, and yeah. shoots. Uh, he shot DiCaprio, right? Yep. At the, yep. And I totally forgot about that. So I was like, oh, man, <laughs> like, it's just great, like, how Tarantino can do that. Like, yeah. have that in the beginning, go through the movie, and you're not even thinking about that. And then when it pops back up, you're like, surprised. Yeah. Now, you say that, you know what that reminds me of in Once Upon a Time, the flamethrower. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Introducing it earlier. Yep. You know, that I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, that there's the, kind of this rule in movies that if there's a scene where there's a shotgun hanging above a mantle, you better damn well use that shotgun yeah, somewhere in the movie. you're going to plant the seed, so, that thing better grow. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, Tarantino's great at, at uh, introducing something. And his movies are so long that you can you easily forget them. things that happened <laughs> yeah. at the yep. beginning. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, your thoughts on uh, Django? Like you said, it's it's... It's a, a big crowd pleaser. It's it's one of those movies like it's everything I expected it to be. It hit every single beat that uh, I was had expectations for. Um, I have it as number six. Um, it was great to see Christoph Waltz come back a couple years later, like from Inglorious Bastards, yeah. but to play a good guy. Yeah, yeah. You wanted to see, you want it from a film go from a film goer's point of view. You want to see actors do different things, even if they're, they're in the same director's movies. You want to see him do different things. And then, I may be wrong, but is this the first time we've seen Leo as a villain? Yeah, that's why I said earlier yeah. that it was, it was unlike anything we had seen Nothing. him do. Yeah. I mean, I guess he was, I don't know if you'd call him a villain in um, the Tom Hanks movie, uh, Catch, Catch Me, Me If You, you can. can. Yeah. He was he was a scoundrel. Well, I don't know if you'd call him a villain. No, but, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, this, so, is, this is the first time we saw that dark side of Leo. Hateful character. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Um, I I loved every every aspect of it really. Uh, I have I don't have any complaints about the movie. It's it, like you said, some parts were disturbing, like what they do with Kerry Washington. Yeah, it's, and, some of it's and, hard to watch, but it serves um, a purpose. I don't think it was gratuitous. Um, something interesting um, at the time after I had seen it, I I had asked a couple of uh, my black coworkers if they had seen it, and a couple of them had, and no 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 nobody liked it. They thought it was. Huh. Well, I guess that's a complaint that uh, some you know? people have. The film is they sort of watered down. Or I don't know if you, I want to say watered down, but they they turn such a dark part of American history into light 
entertainment almost, and I can kind of see and why. It that's might that be was that was her complaint, like and that. I'm like, oh, from a from a white guy's point of view, suburban white guy's point of view, <laughs> I, I I didn't think of that, but now that you say that, yeah. I. That's kind of true, but yeah, and that's I, kind of followed Tarantino throughout his career. That like the use of the N word, yeah. racial issues have plagued him. And I, yeah. I don't think know. he's ever meant it to be, you know, to be anything negative. But that's just no. He he claims yeah. that he grew up in a black neighborhood, sure, and, sure, and you know that's just how everybody talked, himself included, and right. so he incorporates. So yep. right or wrong, that's his motivation. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah. But if, uh, there, if there is a gratuitous ending to any of his movies, uh, you know, a gratuitous happy ending, this has got to be it. Yeah. I mean, with 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 him, you know, having a horse right dance around and <laughs> all that stuff at the very end. Yeah. That that surprised me yeah. that, that it ended that way. I I liked it, but yeah. I was like, oh, okay, you're going there with it. So we all put this in the middle of our uh, list. Denver, yeah. where's it fall? I'm on right your there list? with you guys. I have it at number five as well. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was to me, it was uh, a nearly flawless film. I really had no issues with it. Um, you know, where I was slightly disappointed, just slightly with Inglorious Bastards. To me, I was like, oh man, this is like seamless and near perfect. And uh, I just like the fact that. Tarantino had the balls to make, uh, you know, basically a black exploitation movie about slavery. Right. You know? Yeah. Revenge um, film. Yeah. yeah. So it was like I was like all the you know more power. And then yeah, like uh, Andrew said about Christoph Waltz, you love to hate him in Inglorious Bastards. This one you just love him. You yeah. Know? So that was that was awesome. Yeah. And I, I like the fact that he brought in some fresh blood. He brought in Jamie Fox and. Yeah. And DiCaprio, people he hadn't worked with before, so, uh, but then still had Sam Jackson in another great villainous role, you know. Yep. Um, yep. So it was like to me, it was the perfect balance of yep. old Tarantino with new Tarantino. Yep. So surprisingly, uh, three years later, Tarantino followed up his western with another western. Here's Daisy Domergue. She's wanted dead or alive for murder. When that sun comes out. I'm taking this woman to hang. Is there anybody here committed to stopping me from doing that? One of them fellas is not what he says he is. Move a little strange, you're gonna get a bullet. Not a warning, not a question. A bullet. The Hateful Eight came out in 2015, and I have not seen this film yet. Oh, what? Um, oh, shit. For several reasons. Hit, um, hit stop. Go <laughs> we'll pick it back up. Um, reviews were not great. Um, when I would ask people about it, they said, uh, I don't know if it's your kind of movie, Joe. It's really ultra-violent and kind of mean-spirited and... It, it just didn't seem like the kind of movie it's dark. It's that I wanted to dark. immerse myself in at that point. And um, I've just never, you know, there have been times where I've been at a, you know, a second in Charles looking at DVDs and I, I'll see it and I'll stare at it. And I'm like, I, I can't bring myself to get it. I'm going to watch it just so I can complete my Tarantino experience. But um, I can't. I can't uh, offer my opinion on it right now, so I'm going to uh, give way to you guys. Uh, Tim, your review of uh, Hateful Eight. 
This is actually my least favorite Tarantino movie, so it ranks as number nine on mine because Kill Bill 1 and 2 are combined, so I do not have a number 10. Um, <clears throat> I did not see this at the theater. I, I planned on seeing it at the theater. Uh, again, I don't know why I didn't, so I didn't see it until it came out on DVD, and I was not upset like I was with Django that I did not see it. Mainly because I felt all that it was was a rehash of Reservoir Dogs, ultimately, but just with a Western setting. Mm-hmm. setting. Almost, <sighs> Reservoir Dogs pretty much takes place in a garage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This movie pretty much took place in the, the what was it? Cabin. Cabin. Yeah, yep. yeah the, the cabin thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, again, not a bad movie. Uh you know, it's it's Tarantino, but uh, but even the ending, I just I I just I don't know. I was there's some nice twists and turns in it uh, that that kind of surprise you. Some um, great twists and some <laughs> yeah, there are definitely. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's just not. It's my least favorite. Andrew, where does it fall on your list? It's my second to least favorite, <laughs> right? Just above Death Proof. Um, it it kind of felt. Like he had ran out of a little bit of original, like you said, it, it, it's, it is. Now that I think about it, it's kind of a lot like Reservoir Dogs. Um, it's not Tarantino at his best. Um, it just better than Death Proof. Something about it that slightly turned me off a little bit. It, I think it's more of like the opposite of Once Upon a Time, whereas that movie's more. It's got some sweet elements to it. Yeah. This movie is just. <laughs> It's it's the other end of the spectrum. Well, it is called the hateful eight, yes, not yeah. the yeah. love and peace eight. Um, I did see it op- either opening day or the second day it was out at the MGR in Troy, and the, the, they have the I think it's either the first or second largest screen in the state. Um, so that was cool. There are some beautiful long shots of the wilderness and the snow, and I thought that was beautiful. Um, well, that was one of the criticisms I read of the movie is uh, Tarantino had used this special camera or whatever. Yeah, 70 for like millimeter. These, and then it, all this, the whole thing is set in the confined spaces of this so cabin. There, so it there wasn't are, there's some extremes in yeah. there. The, the shot, the cinematography is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only seen it that one time, though, when it originally came out. I, like, like we said before, we need, some of these we need to revisit to maybe have a better appreciation for. Um but it's not one of those movies that I like really recommended to people, like yeah. I did most of the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Denver, where's it fall on your list? I loved it. It came very for me, very close behind Django, uh-huh. um, because it delivered on what it promised. It said it was the hateful eight. These were a bunch of bastards, you yeah. know, to borrow another title. <laughs> um, these guys were hateful and uh-huh. they were evil and they were corrupt. The, but what I found refreshing is I looked at it totally different. This was more of almost like a whodunit. It was like Tarantino's version of Agatha Christie because <laughs> there's lots of mystery and you're trying to figure things out. Um, and it's more, much more of a character study hmm. than a lot of his other movies because because it is one setting and there is a lot of dialogue. You're really digging in. Um, and where race was always kind of, you know, an an, an element, it wasn't like, Tarantino never really explored it. It was mm. just always there. Whereas this movie, you know, you got a right after the Civil War, you got people who were slaves, you got people who fought on the South, you know. And so that was 
it was almost like he was addressing the things of uh, of Django, you know, yeah. like, okay, here's the aftermath. You know, here's uh, really what set the our country on its next course for the 100 next years or so. So to mm. me, I found it to be fascinating, um, loved it. Um, yeah, be- because it is one of his more unpleasant movies, you know, I wouldn't rank it as one of his, as one of my favorites, one of his best, but yeah. Uh, and uh, if you guys are going to rewatch it, Netflix has broken this movie up into episodes. Okay. Um, so what they did was it was a, it was a long movie, but they made it even longer, um, <laughs> added new scenes in, and I I want to say it's in four or five different episodes. Huh. Really? Uh, I came can, I came across it on my Netflix queue, but I I didn't click on it to see if. And that might actually uh, okay. be a better way to watch it. Yeah. Um. Because there are kind of distinct parts of the movie. There's like the stagecoach part at the beginning, and then there's, you know, the the stuff inside the cabin. Then there's the big twist reveal, and it kind of all changes. And I just love the fact. I don't want to spoil it for you, but I thought Kurt Russell was the lead in the movie, mm-hmm. and he is definitely not. Which <laughs> I was shocked in the way that they revealed it was yeah, yeah. kind of shocking, you know. So. Hmm. Um, yeah, for me, it checked off a lot of the boxes, and right. I loved it. I'll have to check it out maybe this weekend. And then, and then of course, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, he's claiming it might be his last movie, but then there's talk about him maybe doing a Star Trek movie. <laughs> Interestingly, when he was on Jimmy Kimmel recently, Kimmel brought it up, uh, the Star Trek thing, but before Tarantino can respond, he was interrupted by... Margot Robbie and Leo and Brad, they came out and disrupted. And I couldn't help but wonder if that was deliberate to not address the elephant in the room. So will we see Tarantino uh, do a sci-fi movie? It would be intriguing. Uh, I'd like to see it. Now, he said, you know, he's not going to stop creating. Um, As a matter of fact, I heard one rumor that um, he might take uh, Bounty Law and and maybe – produce that as a series i'd love to see and him I'm do like, a tv oh, show can you imagine like a 60s awesome. throwback western with the tarantino spin on it oh as long I, as I brad pitt does riveted. the stunt work yeah, <laughs> so um so i hope it's not tarantino's last movie but it would be a sweet movie for him to to uh, hang his hat on and and end his uh, directing career it on. almost feels like a career yeah. ending movie because there are so many you know, it's a huge part of the movie is a Western like his previous two movies before that. Um, and there is a crime element aspect to it. So it does kind of feel like this career encompassing movie. So I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if it was. Yeah, I hope not. But. And I, I neglected to mention earlier when we were discussing it, um, you know, back in uh, October of 2018, I was on Hollywood Boulevard watching Tarantino direct some scenes from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now having seen the movie, knowing that I saw Cliff Booth driving his blue Carmen Ghia, and I saw uh, Rick uh, in their Cadillac uh, Coupe de Ville, and I saw those characters on set on Hollywood Boulevard, that's something I will never forget. That's like saying... You know, you you watched uh, Travolta and Sam Jackson in in costume and character, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. The fact that I got to watch them uh, do their thing 
uh, and Tarantino direct them is, is just something I'll, I'll never forget. And I'll they released uh, die-cast versions of those cars? Well, not officially, but uh, Matchbox uh, has a, a powder blue uh, Carmen Ghia with a black interior, same hubs on it and everything. It looks exactly like that. Um, as far as the Cadillac Coupe de Ville goes, a company called Jada released uh, the Reservoir Dogs Cadillac Coupe de Ville, which is the same car in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it's owned by Michael Madsen. Another, another callback to an earlier exactly. movie. So, yeah. Nice. Exactly. So you can purchase those cars uh, if you want them. Um, all right. Uh, that pretty much wraps up our uh, Where our would Tarantino. you rank it? Oh, yeah, yeah. We need to talk about it. Uh, because of the topic, because of the characters, uh, this is came in at number three for me behind Kill Bill. Uh, Tim, where does it fall on your list? Uh, as I said, I did not immediately love it. I need to see it again, so it's actually number seven on mine. Okay. Andrew? I have it right in the middle, uh, number five for me. Okay. Yep. I'm with you. It's number three. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. All right. If you haven't seen it, hopefully we didn't ruin it for you, but uh, go out and see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I think most of us agree it's one of uh, Tarantino's best. Mm-hmm. So uh, check it out. And, guys, thanks for joining me on this uh, Tarantino retrospective. And uh, we'll see you next time on Movies for Dumb Guys. Mm-hmm.